Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. You know, one of the things that makes Greenlight Guru unique is our what we call our Guru Edge. And more specifically, we have a whole team of people, medical device gurus, who have a ton of industry experience prior to joining Greenlight Guru. And I thought we would try uh, something a little bit different on the Global Medical Device Podcast. I thought we would feature some of our gurus and, and let you know a little bit about who they are and their background and how they work with uh, customers and medical device companies all over the globe. So enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host, the founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. And I thought we would do something a little bit different on this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. And that something different is I want to introduce you all to some of our gurus who work at Greenlight Guru and and let them share some of their experiences and insights. So joining me today, thrilled about this, is Taylor Brown. Taylor Brown is a medical device guru at Greenlight Guru. (laughs) So mouthful. Taylor, welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. Thanks, John. Yeah, excited to do this today. Well, let's give everybody, uh, uh, I guess a good place to start, give everybody a, a little bit about a background about who you are and what makes you tick and what you enjoy uh, about med device. So go ahead and dive in. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Um, so my background is actually in pharmaceuticals, was my internship in college, and I was a document control specialist there. So I know we're an EQMS, but I was the girl who walked around paper documents to people's desks and got them to sign off. Uh, So it hits home for a lot of people, I'm sure. I love the document control because you got to go out and talk to people and learn how processes were done and and make changes to make things run more efficiently. And then after I graduated, I worked uh, in medical device distribution for a couple of years. And there I was the a quality specialist, and then I became lead auditor uh, for the team. So I would go around to our, I think it was 46 different uh, locations across the country and audit them. And if we had new locations crop up, I would help set up their quality management system. So I uh, definitely used to working from scratch uh, at that team. And then I got transferred up to Indianapolis and started to look for new opportunities. And it turns out green light was about two miles from my apartment. So well, that's how go. I ended up here. Yeah, short commute. Yeah, and and so one of the things that I've uh, I've picked up <laughs> knowing you now for for a couple of years, you actually love auditing, right? I love auditing. It's the greatest, and I'm not even being sarcastic when I say that. I think it equates to like the first day of college, and you get the syllabus, and you're like, okay, this is everything I have to do. Okay. Great. That's that's what ISO 13485 is to me. Like, just follow the rules, perform everything correctly, and you'll get an A. So yes, I do love auditing. I like finding out more about you know, different processes and different people and how different organizations uh, meet the regulations. Yeah, I mean, it's it, t- it takes. I mean, it's 
Somebody has to like it, right? Somebody has to love it. <laughs> Someone has to love it, yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm curious. Uh, you talked about um, uh, in the time that I've known you that you had responsibility for auditing, like, would you say, 46 sites for the medical mm-hmm. device distributor? Yeah. Um, and I'm curious. Uh, I know how I often felt when the auditor, whether internal or external, came to visit me. Do you think that people were excited when you were coming to audit them? I would hope so, right? You know? Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm pretty fun, but no, in all seriousness, I really enjoyed auditing the sites who especially didn't have a lot of familiarity with ISO 1345. So we were, we were distributors, so we would have um, new, bigger manufacturers you know, want to work with us and, and we would you know, go to that location they wanted to work with and do just a preliminary audit to see what we were working with. Um, and I always enjoy talking to the people who you know, didn't know about the ins and outs of 1345. They knew there were rules. They knew there were guidelines they had to follow. But I really enjoyed putting like the why behind it and, and putting meaning into you know, why they have to perform training activities in order to do their job or why kappas are so important and really give us better insight into how we can make improvements as a team. Yeah, I think that's really important. I mean, that why is really key. And I think that's maybe why a lot of folks who who dread audit situations um, might be dreading them because they don't, they haven't connected the dots to understand why this is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I never wanted to be and I never wanted to be the person who like, came in and, and told them everything that was wrong and then walked out. So yeah. <laughs> I would always try to, you know, not take action for them, but help them get to the root cause and help them determine a solution that made sense for what they were doing, but also was compliant. I think that's really important. Yeah, that's really cool. You know, it's hard to believe that I've known you now and been working with you now for about two years. And yeah. It's crazy. Time flies, right? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So, you know, in your role at, at Greenlight, you're you're a medical device guru. Uh, you work with our customer success team, and that means you get to interact with a, a lot of customers. So I guess, as well as internal and external, I guess I should preface that because uh, you do a lot of work inside working with dev and product and and other areas of the business too. But what do you enjoy most about being a medical device guru at Greenlight? And that's a title that only works for Greenlight, right? Like I can't be a med device guru anywhere else. (laughs) I mean, we're setting a a precedent. It's always like you said, it's a mouthful when you say it on webinars and everything. But um, I really live for the light bulb moments. And so whether it's um, and talking about audits, getting through the first notified body audit and realizing all the preparation, all the work on our procedures and training and implementation really paid off. Um, or even something as simple as, as when you know, someone who is new to 1345 or the CFR you know, finally clicks like, okay, verifications, validations, like I understand the difference. Even small things like that are really just meaningful for me because then I can tell that not only are we, you know, learning about how to bring their devices to market, but it's correct. And I think at Greenlight, we talk about you know, putting the guardrails in place, but understanding where those guardrails came from is, is really important to me. And then 
it just goes to show that through our training and relationship with the customers and, and clients that we support, um, it is making sense. And, and the regulations aren't this big, scary you know, PDF that you have to look at and, and go through and follow. Um, it really is the guidelines for how you're going to perform your work. Now, you talked about um, early in your career and loving the document management experience and loving walking documents around from, <laughs> from one person to the next. I mean, obviously, you still get involved with document management from a green light perspective, but you know, our customers are all over the world. So how is that working out when you're working with you know, a company in Denmark or a company in, in New Zealand? How, how does that all work? <laughs> Because, I mean, I know you would be happy to get on a plane and go there, but obviously 100%. This, this platform, how, how do you find that experience? Um, and I guess compare and contrast to walking a document around versus the Greenlight experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, I definitely got a lot of steps in on my Fitbit when I was walking the documents around, uh, but not necessarily one of my favorite experiences because you do you know, see the classic um, tropes, I guess, of, of people who... You know, lose the document on their desk or don't want to sign off. They don't have time right now. So a lot of times I just kind of hung out in that person's hallway until they could sign off. So probably not a great use of time. Uh, I think with Greenlight, it's, it's a great equalizer to know that if you're in Denmark, working with someone in New Zealand, working with someone in Indianapolis, um, there's, there's no delay in getting what you need completed. And we always joke that it doesn't matter where you are in the office or on the beach, you can sign off on a document. Um, it's, it's important to know, especially with all these stay at home you know, orders and, and people's daily lives have been a bit um, shaken up with just new environments that you know work can still be done and you're not relying on the intern to walk around and bring you the yeah. documents that you need to review. Well, I can relate to that walking things <laughs> around in my career, and I wasn't an intern either, but you know, people got you know. We, we had a one of the companies I used to work for. We had a, a red folder process, mm -hmm. um, and the red folder was for all these critical changes that that were really urgent and important. And you know, our approach was you know we needed to get something done. So the the company I worked for had it was spread across about six buildings and two towns that were probably about ten miles apart or so. Mm -hmm. And there were plenty of times that I would get in my car with my red folder and go from building to building to find all the people to to sign off on. And sometimes, you know, I sat outside their office waiting on them. And that's kind of a it's kind of a weird stalker type thing, you know. Um, <laughs> it shouldn't be that way, but it's it still is in a lot of cases. I mean, yeah, I, I got to imagine some of the customers when you start working with them that they're probably migrating from that practice to to a more efficient way. Talk about yeah. that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Your your red folder was my blue paper. So when I would go, I was based in Kentucky. So when I would go to support audits, um, you know, me being the type A person that I am, I would prep everything and print all my files ahead of time on blue paper, which was my way of saying, you know, this is an official document. I know there's you know, different ways, stamps and initials that people make a um, document official. And so I would print everything off on blue paper and then I would ship it to the location I was going to. So I'd ship it to LA or I'd ship it to Baltimore. I'd ship it to Dallas. And so I think that box of blue paper got more miles on it than most people in a given year. 
Um, so when you, you talk to organizations who are used to having the blue paper, used to having the red folders, uh, there's always a bit of hesitation. Like, wait, it's that easy? Like, if I want to check out a document, granted, I have yeah. the right roles and permissions, like I can just do it. And then it gets approved. And then, you know, people can reject it with their comments. And, you know, these documents never see, never see a paper copy mm. oftentimes. Um, so there's always a little bit of buy-in, like, wait, I don't have to recreate the wheel? Awesome. Right. Well, and uh, you, you mentioned when you were walking things around that sometimes things were getting lost on people's desks. And I think that's one of the beautiful things about the green light system is it's pretty impossible for it to get lost because it's, it's always there, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, uh, I got to imagine from an auditor perspective that you might have a love-hate relationship with Greenlight, right? Yeah, because nothing nothing ever goes away. It's I mean, all it's, there all the time. <laughs> it makes the audit smoother. <laughs> I was helping a one of our, our uh, customers up in, um, they're kind of all over the Midwest, but up in New Hampshire, they were having an audit. Um, and she's like, I was getting done so much quicker than I thought I would. Like, usually I would get to take a break and like, you know, go look for a document and give time to myself to calm down. But it was just like, boom, 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 one document after the other. Uh, they got done faster, but <laughs> it was a, a quicker process for sure. Yeah. We, and I know we've heard quite a few stories about um, the audit experience with customers that have implemented Greenlight. I, I recall one, um, I don't remember if you were working with this customer or not, but I re- recall one a specific customer that the uh, it was like a two and a half day audit or something like that, and or maybe it was three days, but uh, regardless, they were done in like half the time. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that's an, ex- you know, for me, that, that's like, that's awesome, right? Because I've, yeah. I've been on both sides of the audit table and it's never fun for anybody. And even the auditor, I mean, even though you enjoyed it, it's it's still kind of this grinding process, right? Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think with, again, going back to, you know, stay at home orders and people working in different environments, uh, we have a couple of customers who had audits scheduled before all of this started occurring and, and were able to, to keep their audit dates because they're using green light and because oh, they cool. can invite, yeah, they can invite their auditor in with a very limited viewing of documents and, and um, share those files with them as they ask for. So instead of having to chip a box of blue paper to the auditor or come up with some you know, complicated way of sharing and emailing files back and forth, they were able to keep those audit dates. Yeah, that's awesome. All right, so I'm curious. You know, you've been at Greenlight now for a couple of years um, as as a medical device guru. What do you enjoy most about that? I really enjoy. Well, selfishly, it's nice to go through audits and not have to actually be there. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, as you mentioned, I would love to go support <laughs> our uh, customer in New Zealand who's going through a notified body audit next week. Um, but it's more of I get to sit back, wish them luck, and then help them go through the findings on the other side. So as much as I love the hot seat, it's nice to be um, over here, I guess. Yeah. Uh, I also, I mean, going with that, I also really enjoy being an extension of our customers' teams. So uh, getting to celebrate with them. I know here at Greenlight, we're really big on celebrating when you get, uh, you know, 
your 510k, get your ISO cert, um, manufacture your first product. So being a part of those celebrations and, and working with customers sometimes um, every week and, and having updates on how they're progressing through their med device journey. Yeah. So that New Zealand customer that's going through the notified body audit, I mean, next week, uh, I got to believe, you know that they're ready. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, they're ready. Yeah. yeah that's cool. <laughs> yeah. They, they were a good team, but they remind me a lot of myself where they're like, all right, help us practice. Like, if, <laughs> what are we doing if the auditor says, you know, they want to see supplier, what, what should go through our brain, you know, what documents to pull. So they're going to do awesome. Um, and I'm excited to talk to them after the fact. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. So I know you have a lot of them. But maybe pick a couple of your favorite customer stories. One of the first customers I started working with up in Canada, it's the CTO who was in charge of pulling together the quality management system. It's a team of three people. Um, and Dylan was the CTO. And he, you know, they, they purchased Greenlight. They purchased our smaller template package that we offer just to kind of get them started. We started going through those documents together uh, and you know everything started falling into place, and then all of a sudden, you know, we get to the point where he has to start writing the quality manual, <laughs> and he's asking me about how I wrote my quality manual previously, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it was this 70-page document with all these diagrams and references and bookmarks within the word file, uh, and he's like, yeah, I don't want to do that. I'm going to get the the larger template package from Greenlight. So. Um, he implemented our templates and, and we went through everything together. And at the end, after he uploaded all the files into Greenlight, he goes, okay, what do I do now? And I'm like, you did it. <laughs> you just yeah. live with it now. Like he thought there was going to be some, you know, like fireworks show or like <laughs> the, the, the FDA was going to like walk in immediately. And I'm like, no, that's the beauty of a quality management system. You do you do your first iteration and then you learn more about it. You make changes and you get feedback and then you make, make your next iteration, your next iteration. So I think with Greenlight, you know, having the templates as a starting point and then you know, really encouraging continuous growth, continuous improvement is, is part of what makes my relationship with our customers so special. All right. So whenever you start working with a customer, uh, I mean, talk a little bit about what kind of advice or tips or point, or maybe even there might be some folks listening today who are you know, considering Greenlight Guru and what it's what the experience is like, and mm-hmm. you know what. I guess let's start with that person who maybe hasn't quite made that decision to move to Greenlight yet. What are some things that they should be thinking about um, from um, you know from the health of their company or their quality system or what have you? You know, regardless if they choose Greenlight Guru or yeah. not. Yeah, I, I think for anyone, it's important to know that you don't have to do everything on day one. Um, so with Dylan up in Canada, um, he he wanted to review all QMS documents you know, over the matter of a couple of days. And I said, that's not feasible. You'll go crazy. I love QMS documents and I can't read that many <laughs> over the span of a couple of days. Uh, so we really just sat down and, and we said, what do you want to do your first 30 days? And and he says, I want to you know, write my project plan. I want to start design control um, and, and get into risk management. And so we said, okay, then those are the first three SOPs that you need to look at. 
Um, and I know here at Greenlight, we call that bootstrapping your QMS. So not signing yourself up for the things you don't need right now. You don't really need a CAPA process on day one. You don't need an internal audit process on day one because you have nothing to audit. So really taking that phased approach and even customers who have an existing QMS and are looking to bring that information into Greenlight, it's, it's not a matter of uploading five years of historical documents the first two weeks. Uh, you can really take a phased approach and, and upload what is most meaningful and uh, most utilized by the team. So it would be fair to say that that kind of approach is, would be captured in some sort of quality plan. Is that, is that a fair way to describe that? <laughs> that's, that's definitely a fair. Every good idea starts with a plan. So <laughs> you know, the FGA always says, you know, if you didn't document it, you didn't do it. Well, same goes for making plans for quality implementation, uh, just so everyone's you know, working off the same plan and you have a clear expectation of what you need to do next. Well, I know that in my career, I get a lot of questions from people like, what is a quality plan? And, and where's, do you have templates for this and that sort of thing? And I'm going to borrow a phrase from you. Sometimes it's just not that deep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, it, it is not that deep. I don't know how to say that back to you, but yeah. <laughs> I think due to the nature of the industry that we're in and the pressure, I, I think is a good word for it, to comply quickly with the regulations, we tend to, myself included, um, overcomplicate things. Uh, and so at the end of the day, if you're looking at the standard and using supplier management as, as a good example, there's no requirement that you need to audit your suppliers twice a year. So if that's not feasible for your team, probably don't put that in your supplier management SOP. Yeah. Um, so taking a step back and thinking almost minimally viable product, like what do we need to do to meet the regulations, to do a good job uh, and to not drive ourselves crazy by the end of this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think a lot of people do, do get kind of wound up on this whole topic, you know, and they're seeking perfection too, you know, and do you have thoughts about, you know, if you're, if you're trying to make the perfect quality system, you know, some pros and cons to that approach? I think the perfect quality system is one, I mean, clearly meets the regulations, but that's it. You know, when you go to audit people, you're auditing to the regulation, to the standard. If someone has a, going back to my example, if someone has a requirement to audit all of their suppliers twice a year, cool, that's great. You better be doing that because you wrote that into your procedure. So the more complicated you make things, it's actually the harder to meet those requirements and you end up you know, putting yourselves in a hole. Imagine you know, in 2020, if I said I had to go do an on-site audit of all my suppliers twice a year, that's not going to happen in 2020 uh, with everyone at home and, and everyone's schedule shaken up. So um, be flexible. And if you do have to deviate from a process, it's not the end of the world. But again, you do need to document um, what you're doing. When I talk to my customers on um, you know, audit prep calls or some of the, the bi-weekly meetings that we have, for example, um, I'm always a big fan of memos because if you're documenting a decision that you're making ahead of you making the decision... Um, then that's that's proof that you've thought about it, you've done a risk analysis, and you're documenting what you're doing um, 
even if you are deviating from a process. If you continue to deviate from a process, you may want to <laughs> change that. But um, as long as you have a rationale for what you're doing. Yeah. And it, it, in my career, it took me a long time to figure this out. I mean, I, I didn't appreciate in those early years that a quality system is, should be a living entity, so to speak, something that, that evolves, that, that I'm continually evaluating and updating. And I think this is where a lot of companies get into like sort of a trap where they almost, you know, look at their quality system as something that's etched in stone that, that, Mm -hmm. uh, that cannot be updated. But then when it, when the, what's defined doesn't align with the actual practice that they get themselves into some trouble, you know? Yeah. This is kind of cheesy, but that's why I loved being audited. Um, to have someone who doesn't live in the day-to-day, the grind of the process to come in with fresh eyes and say, you know, you really don't have to do that or this requirement that you've had you know, in your procedure since 2012 hasn't been completed in the past three years or something crazy like that. Just examples. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, having someone come in with fresh eyes to point out ways you can improve. I mean, that's what an audit is. It doesn't feel like that sometimes, but it really is meant to improve and, and make sure that everyone's uh, you know, relying on the standard to guide their work. For sure. I mean, you, you said something a moment ago that reminded me of back in the day when I was doing some consulting. I, I um, It was this small med device company and um, they had had a, uh, an FDA inspection that didn't go so well. And they had, I don't know, you know, quite a few 43 observations and, you know, they brought me in to try to help remediate those things. And, you know, I'm, this is like October ish timeframe and in, in the calendar year and I'm going through, you know, all the findings and, and then dive into their procedure. And, you know, it was a company of like 20 people and the amount of rigor that they had defined within their quality system, it was not something that they could, they could sustain. And one of the things that was kind of like the, uh, I, I guess, an aha moment, um, and maybe not in such a good way, but uh, as I'm doing my gap analysis of all their other procedures, I came across their internal auditing procedure and their internal auditing procedure said, thou shalt conduct internal audits on all processes uh, annually all the time or something like that, you know, and, <laughs> and, you know, by the time I'm looking at this, you know, it's, it's, we're now we're into November ish timeframe. Like, Hey, you guys have this internal auditing procedure. You know, you've already had all these observations. Um, we're trying to clear those things up. What do you want to do about that? And they're like, Oh, uh, we should conduct our internal audits. <sighs> I mean, that's <laughs> a, a, on all our, pro- I said on all your processes. Like, yeah. Like that's a tall order for the next, you know, five to six weeks of the mm-hmm. year, especially considering you got Thanksgiving and, you know, the, the Christmas holidays and all these sorts of things. Yeah, oh, well, we'll, we'll, hire, we'll hire somebody that used to work here. She, she can do it. And they did. And this lady never came on site to do any of these internal audits, which, you know, it theoretically is possible. Yeah, yeah. But she, but she never talked to anybody either. <laughs> uh, she just looked at their procedure like she did she checked the box and said yep did internal audits and, and it was like 30 internal audits and their procedures also said anytime there was a an issue identified during any kind of audit that it was automatically a kappa 
right? <laughs> and, and so then um, of these 30 internal audits, you know, I think there was probably a, a new 25 or 30 Kappas that got generated too. And it was like, they just couldn't get out of their own way, you know? And it was like, they yeah. weren't, the, the quality system was was dictating, they, it wasn't working for them, they were working for it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's a bad way to be. Yeah, exactly. And And I... I don't want to say I did something similar <laughs> because um, it's it's kind of a scary story. But yeah, I mean, things fall off the schedule. And I remember one year, all of our internal audits for each of the, the sections of ISOs is how we did it came uh, in Q3 and Q4. And so it was a hustle to get those items completed. And uh, we had planned to do better. We had planned to have things earlier in the year, but they just got pushed. And uh, I think our, our management review for the year was something like December 23rd or some really convenient date, which I'm sure yeah. no one was mad at me for planning it on that day. Um, so just just planning ahead and planning resources too, I think is really important. If it is going to be one person who is performing this audit in, in your example, let's make sure mm-hmm. that that person has the tools that they need as well as the, the timing that they need um, to perform their work. Okay, so um, we've talked a little bit about things that that companies should be doing or people should be doing um, who, who may or may not be green light customers, but let's let's change the the context a little bit. So let's imagine uh, a company signs uh, with green light and is getting the ball uh, rolling, so to speak, and they start working with you. what are, What are some things that are important to that customer's success? In order to you know adopt green light and 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 start to realize the benefits that that green light mm-hmm. can provide mm-hmm. that, that's such a good question it's and it's I think it's a really simple answer is just being curious about the system uh, but also the regulations within green light we're really fortunate uh, and this sounds really kind of sales pitchy so sorry but we get you know each customer a test account which when I used my first eqms I did not have a test account um, so I had to learn everything the hard way, which would be creating bad records in our production environment and thinking, oh, I, I wish I wouldn't have done that <laughs> after the fact. So yeah. you can learn a lot by just trying things. And we do have training webinars and training touch points and articles and videos on, on how to get people acquainted with the system. But even when I joined Greenlight, I learned so much just by clicking around the system and saying, okay, if I were to go do a um, design review, what are some of the things I would have done in, in my previous life and, and how would those look in Greenlight? So um, not necessarily trial and error, but just just trying things out and seeing how they look. Um, that being said, it's my team's responsibility to make sure that our customers are successful. It's a <laughs> great pillar of customer success team. Um, but yeah. you can learn a lot just by clicking around and uh, exploring within the test environment, I think. Yeah. One of the other things that, that I want to highlight for customers that I know you were very uh, influential in, in driving uh, and, and helping implement our, um, what we call it Operation Train Better you know, <laughs> inside the Greenlight. But there is uh, some awesome content that, You've helped, um, you know, a spearhead, so to speak. Mm-hmm. No pun intended. But um, talk a little bit about 
you know, from a customer perspective, some of the assets that are there in addition to to the test environment that can mm-hmm. help them uh, adapt to some of the workflows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Operation uh, train better. <laughs> we we kind of just you know took it on because something that's really important to uh, our team is because you know we've worked in the industry as standard work. So I talked a while ago about recreating the wheel, not recreating the wheel every single time we have a, a new customer join the Greenlight Guru family. Uh, so we thought about how can we standardize these uh, training calls and, and training walkthroughs so that not only when new people, new customers join the family, but also when existing customers have new employees. And so, you know, when I first started at Greenlight, you'd get a call from someone, I have three new hires starting next week and I don't have time to train them on the process. Can you uh, set up a call as soon as possible? And you know, we were happy to do that, but it, it just felt so um, reactive. And so with the uh, training webinars that we have at various time zones and various times throughout uh, the week. It really is creating a standard work and it's on a set schedule. So when a manager knows that they're getting new people, they can go ahead and make plans to put these new hires in these webinars and get them acquainted with the green light system. Uh, we also have our help center. So sometimes it's easier to read about things rather than than sit through a video. So we have articles as, as well as those videos I referred to, as well as a um, support ticket site. So if you do have quick questions, um, you know, what am I missing here? What, where am I in the process? I got myself lost. Uh, you can submit those as tickets as well. The, um, the other thing that we've, we've always done this, but I think we're making it a little bit easier for folks to, to submit their ideas too. Um, that's, that's awesome. And I, and I, I, I really want, you know, our customers to understand we, we we listen to your feedback, you know, and, and, you know, Taylor is one of those gurus who's very involved in in helping to assess and, and evaluate all the suggestions, the feedback that our customers provide. And, and, um, that's, that's got to feel awesome too. Whenever a customer suggests something, you're like, Oh wow, that's a really good idea. And then actually see it be put into practice. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. It's, I mean, we're med device focused. So a lot of our, our workflows, the process comes from and the CFR, but it's a lot of those, we call them internally customer happiness features or even something as simple as, um, can you add this new document category uh, to the drop-down list? It's like, yes, absolutely. If that makes your day that much easier, then then we'll do it. And it's really cool to see customer feedback come in that, you know, oh, I hadn't thought of that you know, feature in that way. That's That'd be a really cool way to um, you know, be more compliant or to um, you know, make the workflows more streamlined. Cool. Well, Taylor, I appreciate you taking some time I know how busy you are working with all of, uh, a lot of our customers. The, tell us a little bit about Taylor Brown, the human. I mean, I, <laughs> I, because uh, I think it's really important that this is something that I, in my career, and yeah, maybe I have a bias as the founder of Greenlight, but um, you know, we we want to humanize all of this because. Um, you know, we're all in this t- together, the world together. And, you know, Greenlight's mission is to improve the quality of life. And, you know, we make a very concerted effort to try to get to know our customers. But what are some things that, that uh, about you as the human that um, 
maybe people don't realize? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. I'm a really big Harry Potter fan. So always ask me what Hogwarts house I'm in. Uh, it will probably surprise you my answer. <laughs> All right. Uh, I'm curious. <laughs> what, what Hogwarts house are you in? I'm actually, so I took the, the test online and everything. I'm a Slytherin, which is like the mean, evil. <laughs> that <house>. is surprising. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm pretty competitive. So that's probably where uh, that yeah. comes out. Um, and then, you know this about me, but. I'm a cycling instructor, so the indoor spin bikes, people call them. I, I teach class uh, probably about two times a week at a couple studios in, in Indianapolis. So chances yeah. are, if I'm getting on an early morning phone call with you, I've already worked out. <laughs> um, I, um, I'm terrified to even think about going to one of your spin classes. But what when you share, you're like, oh, I've got this this new playlist. I mean, here's what I love about about Taylor Brown is you make it all fun. <laughs> um, I mean, like, I'm sure if I did actually have the courage to show up to one of your spin classes, it would be an awesome playlist that you have uh, put some thought into to make that experience a little bit better. Yep. yep. That's the goal. I mean, it goes back to it's not that deep as long as we can you know, move our legs a little bit and listen to good music. <laughs> I call that a workout. All right. So uh, I've asked you a lot of things. This is, uh, I guess, a little bit impromptu. Do you have any questions that you want to ask me before we wrap things up today? Do you have um, any audit memories that stand out to you, either like a really good audit or a bad audit that you had uh, to go through? Uh, yeah, actually, there's a lot of audit memories. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'll share a couple um, so I was, um, uh, probably within the first three years of my career or so, and it was an ISO audit and the company I worked for, it was, it was pretty large. Um, but, um, I remember they were asking, they were going to do a design control or design history file audit. And, um, this is, you know, I was going to say back in the day where uh, design history files were contained in binders, but sadly, that's still the case for a lot <laughs> was, of folks. I was going to say stone and chisel, but binders are better. <laughs> God, gosh, Taylor. I mean, I, yeah, thank you. Uh, that, that's a, a jab at my age, but that's okay. I do remember working before computers and email, but that's a whole different story. They were doing a design history file audit and the company, we had a lot of different um, teams. And so they were grabbing... Uh, uh, binders from a few different teams. And I remember um, sitting across from the auditor and they were going through, and I I prided myself on pristine organization of my design history file. Um, everything was there. I mean, I, I kept that stuff in order all the time. Um, but I remember the uh, a couple of exper or, uh, experiences from this particular audit. Um, one was that the auditor noted that the quality of the design history files varied um, from one project to the next, but yet we were all following the same internal procedures. So that raised an eyebrow and a question with the auditor. But specifically as it related to me, um, I had referenced a particular ISO standard uh, as a requirement for one of the catheters that I was developing. And the auditor is like, well, what did, how did you address the you know, clause? And I'm making the number up because I don't remember, but clause 4.2 in, in this particular ISO standard. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, this standard addresses tensile strength, that addresses flexibility, torqueability, blah, blah, blah. But it also 
uh, covers this piece. Uh, what did you do about that? And I'm like, deer in the headlights. I hadn't, I hadn't scoured through that standard and that, that level of detail. I didn't even think or didn't even cross my mind that if I'm referencing a standard, I need to look at the standard in its entirety. So, <laughs> um, so that, was, that was a learning moment. But that also led to, uh, because of the, how well-organized my design history files were in, in other audits, that audit and other audits, it led to other opportunities for me because um, it, we had such varying practices from a design control perspective within this company, mm-hmm. and it created problems. Um, you know, so I was given this opportunity to become the design control engineer. I never heard of this before because it didn't exist, but my um, my job was to ensure consistency uh, from a documentation practice during the design and development process at this company. And, um, you know, I guess that moment probably led me to eventually uh, being uh, st- starting Greenlight because, you know, I st- grew this passion around it. So that was a good, ex- that was an interesting experience. I would say more generally speaking, from an audit perspective, I always, there were always things that we did as a company that were head scratchers for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, why are we doing this? And I always looked at the audit, the external audit, as painful as it would be to get an observation from from ISO or FDA. I always thought, oh, great, this will finally be an opportunity. Because when ISO issued an observation, the auditor would issue an observation and you get a 43, it was like the company would set up and pay attention. And I was like, oh, yeah. wow, this would yeah. be a great opportunity for us, for us to finally do that thing that we think is weird and, and wonky. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. Those are a couple of tidbits from from my audit days. Those are good. Yeah. Full circle. And here we are. Here we are. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Taylor, uh, I hope you had as much fun as I did uh, getting an opportunity to talk. I mean, we we talk every day, but we, we don't get to talk about this stuff all the time. So this was fun for me. So thank you. Yeah. Lots of fun with you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. You got it. Folks, uh, Taylor Brown, medical device guru at Greenlight Guru. Uh, Of course, uh, I encourage you all to learn more about Greenlight Guru. If if you're not aware, Uh, Greenlight Guru has built and implemented the only medical device quality management system in the world today. It's been designed specifically for you as the medical device professional. And you know what? It's actually designed by med device people. People like Taylor is, are involved in the product and how it works and how it flows and how it aligns with ISO 1345. And I know, Taylor, we didn't talk about EUMDR, but keeping uh, the Greenlight Guru software solution up to date with the ever-changing regulations, that's part of my job. It's part of Taylor's job at Greenlight Guru. So check it out, www.greenlight.guru. And as always, thank you for being a listener of the Global Medical Device Podcast, the number one podcast in the medical device industry. Share this with your friends and colleagues and uh, remind them, too, that there are hundreds of episodes that they can go consume. So lots of great stuff. So as always, thank you. Uh, This is your host, founder, and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. And you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast.